welcome to episode 87 of the Cricket Her Weekly. Now, as with the last few episodes, we're going to start with a bit of a roundup about what's been happening in WBBL. Over to you, Sid. Who's in? Who's out? Sorry about the Hurricanes. Yeah, unfortunately, um, unfortunately for Hurricanes fans, among which I count myself, um, they were the first team to kind of go out, as it were. So they can no longer qualify for this elaborate sort of semi-final stage where third play fourth, and then the winner of third play fourth plays second, and the winner of that plays first. And you don't think that that's too complicated? No, it's a great system. It's not, <laughs> it's not too complicated at all. Um, so uh, the, the Hurricanes are out. Um, so we know for certain that the Renegades, um, who are currently in first place, uh, will at least make the top four and ditto the Heat after today's results. Um, so Renegades and Heat definitely make the top four, but it's obviously still quite a lot to play for because there's a huge advantage now to coming first that you get to go straight through to, to the final. Um, and yeah, everyone else can still kind of make it in theory, but particularly dicey for the Sixers. The Sixers are, are all but out. It's, um, you know, of the few million chances there are left, sort of permutations of the, of the table, Sixers kind of find only a tiny handful and an awful lot of other results to go their way. And that's a bit of a surprise because the Sixers have traditionally been quite a successful team in in WBBL. Um, what's gone wrong for them this season? Yeah, they've won it twice in 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 the past, haven't they? They haven't won it the last couple of seasons. Um, and you know, I think that okay, if you want to look at what's wrong for the Sixers, I think you have to kind of start uh, in an unfair place, and you have to really start with Elise Perry. I think now that's in some ways unfair. So if you look at the total number of runs. Uh, you know, the top run scorers in WBBL, the total number of runs scored by each player. Lise Perry's right up there. She's the fifth um, highest run scorer this season. So how on earth is it her fault? Well, but the problem with what with Elise Perry, and this is something that's been consistent throughout her career, is that she's quite a slow starter. So um, she typically takes sort of 40, 45 balls of an innings before she hits her stride and gets a strike rate over 100. Um, and she hasn't quite got there. So in all, although she's scored um, you know, enough runs, over 300 runs, it takes her to fifth on the list. She's one of only two women in the top 20 run scorers that scored at less than 100. Okay. Um, so she hasn't got a strike rate over 100. Um, and the other person on the list that hasn't got a strike rate over 100 of the top run scorers is Nicole Bolton, another Sixers player. And the problem isn't with what Elise Perry's doing. The problem is that, you know, that other people aren't aren't getting the kind of explosive quick runs. They're not you know, making up for yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, Shafali hasn't really clicked for them in her first season at the WBBL. Um, you know, Alyssa Healy hasn't had a great season by her standards. One very big innings, but then a lot of not very big innings. Mm. Um, and um, Ash Gardner has not had a great season either. So, you know, it's been a tough one for the Sixers. Um, but, you know, there's other teams like the Renegades, you know, have had, had an opportunity to shine. So, you know, one one person's... One team's down is another team's up. Is there a little bit of us that is possibly quite pleased that Alyssa Healy and Ash Gardner aren't in very good nick going into the Ashes in January? No, because they're sure to be back. <laughs> they're far too good. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> if they're going to have a bad patch, they're having their bad patch now. That's probably terrible news for England, right? Oh, no. Okay. I was trying to... They're going to score hundreds of runs in the Ashes between them. I was trying to put a positive spin on it. Okay. Well, we'll... Well, it's a positive spin if you're Australian. We'll revisit this when Alyssa Healy scores a, a test Indeed. double hundred and um, wins the Ashes for Australia. Okay, um, and moving on to our next topic of the week. Um, not this past week, but the week before that, we published a piece on the site um, that was kind of about the a possible future envisaged for county cricket. 
Um, and there's a bit of uncertainty around women's county cricket at the moment, isn't there, Sid? Because um, what happened was in 2019, when the ECB said this is going to be the last edition of the women's county championship, um, so they're not going to play any more 50 over county cricket. Um, at the same time, they said what we're going to do is give the T20 um, Cup, the, so the women's county T20 competition, a stay of execution. I don't think that they called it that, but that's what we called it. A stay of execution yep. for two seasons. So um, we'll play it in 2020 and we'll play it in 2021 and then we'll reassess at that point. Now, we are at that point. Obviously, in 2019, nobody envisaged a global pandemic and nobody thought that, um, therefore, that would effectively knock out all women's county cricket for the 2020 season. Um, which it did, um, but we have had, we did have um, the official ECB sponsored um, T20 competition um, earlier in 2021, although it was a bit of a mishmash and slightly different to how it's looked in previous seasons. Anyway, we're at that point where the ECB said that they would kind of reassess things and we haven't heard anything official, so it still seems to be a little bit up in the air, doesn't it? What do you make of all this, Sid? Well, I think the biggest thing that that piece on our website sh showed, and um, you know that that piece wasn't written by either of us, uh, by the way, it was written by another contributor um, who w wanted to to remain anonymous, mm -hmm. um, but obviously somebody that has a, you know a keen interest mm. in cricket um, and in in the the domestic women's game, and what it showed is like the the, the enormous you know, like goodwill and enthusiasm. There was almost a groundswell for this for county cricket, and I just think that the ECB should be like harnessing. They should look at they should look at the response to things like that and go look. We've actually got something here that people love. People in general, a lot of cricket fans are not very happy with us at the moment. We might have a lot of new fans from the hundred, which we're actually going to come on to in a minute. But you know these these old traditional people that have been you know kind of holding cricket up for the past X years. They love this stuff, mm. and let's just do something for them. Let's 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 give something back to them. County cricket is what they want, and I know that it's you know people at the ECB have made commitments in the other direction. They've gone, oh, we think that club cricket provides you know a better long-term path, but we are where we are, guys. And I just think that it might be better for all concerned if the the ECB accept that and you know harness that that kind of that goodwill and that positivity about county cricket. What do you think, Raf? Yeah, well, I was just going to read out a couple of the comments um, that we had on Twitter after that piece was published. Um, so uh, Jason Rance from Bucks Cricket says there has to be something in place for women's cricket. We have so many talented young women in Bucks who at 19 go off to university slash work and are desperate for representative best v best cricket in the summer. Um, so that's obviously speaking to the part of the piece that was basically saying that um, if you don't make it into a regional setup, um, then it's almost like you feel that you've been discarded. So of course um, we need to keep representative county cricket for those players, otherwise they're just going to fall out of the system. We don't have a big enough player pool really um, for that to be an option. We need to keep giving people opportunities to feel that they are um, representing a team that they feel attached to. Um, and they won't just go off and, and play club cricket. So that was one comment. Um, Melissa Story, um, who I think is um, a Hursley Park player, um, with I think she's their captain. Okay, with um, so with uh, Charlotte Taylor and Emily Windsor. And interestingly, I, I believe I'm not. I hope I'm not insulting her. I believe a player that's never played, never quite made it at county. So she's never played county cricket. Only played club cricket, I believe. Okay, um, but uh, she's also um, a, a commentator now on the yep. BBC, I was going to say, um, and she says, this is something I feel very strongly about, and this piece perfectly sums up my experience of the women's domestic system. Um, I always used to get upset talking about it because I was disappointed that I wasn't good enough and felt there was no way back into the system. 
Um, with female drop-off in sport prominent around the ages of 18 to 22, more needs to be done to address these problems and keep young women playing cricket. Um, and then there was um, another one from Rich Hudson um, from Bucks saying that they that he agreed with the piece 100% and that um, Bucks are going to retain a full women's county programme to be the pinnacle of their recreational game, just as the national county team is for men. He says, we've come too far and are developing too many good players and coaches to drop the ball now. Um, and I think those comments are, are really powerful and they do speak to what you are, have just said that there is this enormous enthusiasm and support for women's county cricket and it feels like you know we've said this before um in, in this in this um forum that the ecb felt that they could get rid of women's county cricket without very much comeback and just replace it with the regional setup um, and actually they totally underestimated the amount of um, popular support and the amount of kind of attachment to playing for your county um, so I, I think that it would be disappointing um, if it doesn't continue. Um, I think that it would be um, really a backward step for the ECB um, if you know that partly um, they are being measured um, by by Sport England, aren't they, on their metrics um, in terms of uh, participation, um, and one yep. of those metrics will be women's participation. So if you end up knocking out a whole, a whole load of players by getting rid of county cricket, then that's surely a negative thing. Um, they've talked about trying to support club cricket more, but um, it's still. I, I just think that we've not seen a huge amount of evidence that there's suddenly this amazing new um, you know, club system whereby in any area of England you can suddenly access a brilliant um, club setup. Uh, it's always been patchy geographically and I haven't seen anything to suggest that that's changed in the last couple of years, despite the ECB's best intentions. I think the only thing that will be holding the ECB back from saying, OK, well, um, let's carry on with county cricket is almost the kind of embarrassment there's a sort of political embarrassment around it because it, it yeah. is it would be making a u-turn and it is an admission that okay sorry folks we got this one wrong and um, so you know but that's that's a terrible reason to make a policy decision yeah it's very sunk cost fallacy isn't it yeah um so for me uh, county cricket should absolutely continue but the big question is actually how do we see that place for county cricket in the system Will the England players, for example, ever play county cricket again? They weren't able to play in 2021 because of COVID regulations. Um, it was felt to be too risky, which I still think is a bit strange because all of the regional players were also playing county and then going off and mixing with the England players in, in warm-up matches. And it was a bit strange. But anyway, that was the decision that was made. Um, and obviously nobody nobody played, um, or only a very few um the London Championship was played in 2020, wasn't it? But other than that, there wasn't really any county cricket, so no England players played then. Um, so they haven't played any for two years. Um, it's going to be a very difficult um, scenario to see them playing any in 2022, purely because we've got an extra tournament happening, the Commonwealth Games. When are they going to? When are the England players going to get a rest? When are they going to fit in playing any county cricket? Uh, if once they've gone for three years without playing county cricket, that seems to me that you've set an unfortunate, perhaps an unfortunate precedent. What do you think? 
I'm okay with the England players not playing county cricket um, because I, I almost see county cricket slightly differently. I see it as, you know, representing, you know, the kind of the wider diaspora, like the pinnacle of the amateur game, if you mm. like, or, and, you know, the people that are in a position to get into and break into the professional game. So if the England players don't play, I don't think that's a disaster as long as you kind of give it the proper support that it needs to be the kind of the pinnacle of the amateur domestic game and to do the job that in, in men's cricket, Premier League club cricket does. And, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's a point. I was talking to someone this morning about this, um, that, you know, you don't have to... It, it's, not a, it's not the law that the men's game and the women's game have to operate in exactly the same way. And yeah. you could envisage a future for women's county cricket where it's the kind of the sort of the recreational pinnacle, the sort of the, the amateur semi-professional elite. So okay. that's where that could be. Okay, well, uh, moving on to our next topic, um, football. Huh? Um, well, <laughs> yep, um, so uh, in the Daily Telegraph this week, Tom Gary and Molly McElwee published um, a really great piece, which uh, we recommend going off and reading, um, about, well, I mean, superficially it was about women's football and about the fact that they're seeing some falling attendances for women's football in terms of, like, the the tennis is at grounds so they're they're going down slightly um they, it was about the women's super league wasn't it yeah so the 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 number of people actually going to games is falling what they're doing is they're looking at cricket therefore and they're going well cricket's been very successful with the hundred uh, we've seen a massive rise in people mm. going to grounds and watching women's sport there what can women's football learn from women's cricket mm. what can they learn raf well First of all, I think that one of the reasons why this is a really interesting piece is because it's flipping the dynamic that we've traditionally had for the last few years, which has very much been what can women's cricket learn from women's football? Because women's football in this country has always been seen as um, the biggest women's sport, the biggest growing women's sport and the most successful women's sport, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, and so this is kind of turning that on its head and going, well, actually, um, women's football, were a little bit disappointed with the crowd figures. And if we compare that to the fact that they were getting you know, an average of seven and a half thousand people to every hundred match, um, then that's that's a bit disappointing. And just to put that in actual perspective, what we're talking about is that for the Women's Super League this year, average crowds have been about 2,000 per game. So that's actually substantially less, um, albeit in smaller stadiums. Mm. Um, but yeah, sorry, Raf. No, no, Keep that's really, it's a really good point. So actually, um, the 100 was kind of... I think I actually wrote this in my piece for The Guardian about the double headers that it was almost like women's cricket was kind of eclipsing women's football and eclipsing where women's football had got to um, because previously we'd only seen those sort of level crowds for kind of um, World Cup matches um, and actually so it was exciting to get those for a domestic competition. Um, but I think that to, it's it's a little bit simplistic to just go, OK, well, look what women's cricket did with the 100. That's really brilliant and we need to learn from that. Um, one of the disappointing things, actually, was that that bounce, that crowd bounce that we had in the 100 wasn't then um, translated into increased performances for any of the women's matches that happened in September in this country. So, for example, um, you know, there, there weren't, um, more people coming to domestic matches to the Rachel Hayhoe Flynn or to the Charlotte Edwards Cup and matches. Yeah, there was um, a couple of hundred people at the RHF final, I think, but yeah, certainly but, I mean, not a huge crowd. That's and that's a lot less than we used to get at the Kia Super League final, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so that was 
you know, it was slightly disappointing. Um, the other thing is even that, um, even the England v New Zealand internationals that were happening in September were getting quite poor crowds um, compared to what we've seen in some years. I know that um, people talked about there being a kind of COVID factor at Chelmsford, but normally you'd see, you know, a really kind of rollicking sellout crowd at Chelmsford. And yes, they said, oh, it's a sellout, but it really didn't feel particularly full or busy. And, and It didn't feel rollicking. I mean, that's the, that's no. the, that's the really important thing there. That, that atmosphere that we've traditionally associated with Chelmsford of it, it bouncing and sort of screaming crowd and that wasn't there this time. Yeah, and so I think that actually um, what the ECB will will be really struggling with at the moment and trying to work out what the answer is, is how do they get those, um, how do they translate those bigger crowds for the women's hundred into bigger crowds for other women's matches? Otherwise, I, I think I've even said exactly this before on um, on the Cricket Her Weekly, that otherwise you just end up with this, um, you know, four-week-long festival of cricket every summer um, that you get lots of people along to, but they don't then go and interact with cricket in other ways, in other guises, um, and, you know, in, in that way, is it really a step forward? So I don't know yeah, that that's the 100 what, has to be the gateway drug. Yeah, I don't know that, that, that that's what women's football should be aiming for. Yeah, and women's football crowds are definitely very different. They're, they're, women's football definitely needs the crowds, that the kind of people that come along every single week. They almost need those season ticket holders. And we didn't even, we, I don't think we had season tickets at all for the 100, no. did we? There wasn't a thing you could buy. I know you can buy season tickets for the, the men's Big Bash. I don't know whether the women's Big Bash also has season tickets in a normal year. Obviously, this year is very different because of the fact they've been played in, as a sort of circus. Um, but, yeah, so I think they're different kinds of crowds as well. But there's definitely some interesting stuff to look at, that, you know, and um, there's going to be some interesting research done on on the way that crowds have interacted with the hundred so yeah i think um and one of the things that we have to guard against perhaps is um is sort of thinking that it's inevitable that um crowds at women's sport are just kind of going to exponentially go like this unproblematically um obviously one of the things with the women's super league is that it's now um it's, it's now on the bbc um, so it's on free-to-air television, so you don't have to get any um, Sky subscription to be able to watch yeah. it. So, And that's really great. That's fantastic. And that's what we've been saying for years that women's cricket needs is that more of exposure on free-to-air TV. But if people can watch it from their sofa, then you're going to get kind of increased TV audiences, hopefully, but not necessarily increased crowd attendances. Um, and also we have to kind of guard against like a short-term view as well. Um, you know, the hundred's been really exciting, but kind of what matters um, partly, as well as um, it, you know, translating into bigger audiences for other cricket competitions. Um, but how many people are we going to get in next year's hundred? And in five years' time, are we still going to be getting you know fifteen thousand people at Lords to watch a women's hundred match, or is it? something about the novelty and the um you know the the fact that it's the first time so so i think that it, we yeah we just have to be a little bit careful about kind of going oh well inevitably things will just get better yeah it was interesting that the way the hundred was marketed the hundred was very much marketed as come and watch some good cricket mm. whereas football you know for a hundred and something years has always been come and watch your team mm. come and support your team whether they win or whether they lose because of course ultimately over the longer term your team is gonna you know your, your A team is going to lose half the time. So, you know, you need to, to encourage fans to be able to come and support a team even if they're losing, even if they're losing. And it, it, let's face it, if they're losing, it feels like you're not watching good cricket. And that's actually a little bit problematic for cricket um, because 
now we again we've talked about this before there are so many different teams to support in the women's game so i know you to some extent feel that the southern brave are the southern vipers in a different guise but it doesn't quite match up that easily between the teams so if what you're trying to do is inspire fan loyalty um then people are going to be really excited to follow uh, the trent rockets for four weeks a year and then they can't follow them any of the rest of the time so that is actually quite difficult for cricket isn't it yeah, and I've said before that I think that they should have had consistent teams across the whole of the women, the domestic women's game. But that's not a direction they've gone in, so, you know, we are where we are. Yeah. Anyway, and finally this week, um, the ICC have announced the latest inductees into their Hall of Fame, including Jan Britton, a former England player, um, who sadly is no longer with us, so, um, you know, can't... Uh, be there to kind of enjoy her, enjoy her sort of posthumous success. I just want to read you something that, that was written this week uh, about Jan Britton. It says, um, I idolised you, if I'm honest. This is talking to, effectively to her. I watched you play in a World Cup in England, and I can't forget my first ever game going to watch England was in Finch Hampstead when my dad took me to watch you play. That's the first time I saw you live. I was a bit of a geek growing up, and I'd heard so much about you. So I always knew that Jan Britton was the best England batter of her generation. And since that day I first watched you score runs, I was just in awe of you. Now that was written by Charlotte Edwards. Um, and I think that that's interesting firstly because so many players of Charlotte Edwards' generation, if you ask them who their idol was, mm. they would say, you know, a men's player. So, you know, they might say, you know, Sachin Tendulkar or... Um, I'm not sure I know any other men's players, but <laughs> think of an insert insert favoured men's player here. Um, whereas you know Charlotte Edwards, obviously uh, her her late father was was very much responsible for that. Was saying that's a substantial. Finch Hampstead is just down the road from here. It's just about three miles in that direction. Um, Sid points over his shoulder for the benefit of those that are listening through on the, the podcast. Through the green curtain. Um, <laughs> that sounds weird, Raph. It's through the green curtain. Um, but that's a, that's a long drive from where they lived up in, in Huntingtonshire. So her father, you know, taking her to see that game was really important. That, mm. And she, she's maintained that kind of emotional attachment very much to the, to the women's game. She's actually a women's cricket person, isn't she? Anyway, uh, I, I digress from talking about Lottie because we could have, should, of course, be focusing on Jan. Um, Raph, um, a couple of years ago, uh, Surrey gave Jan Britton the honour of naming a room in the pavilion after her. Um, and you actually wrote a piece about that. So let you talk to us tell us tell us about jan britain and and you know what her importance was well um yeah it was an amazing event at surrey um and one of the things that was really clear was how important jan britain had been to an entire generation or even multiple generations of, of female cricketers as, as you, the quote that you just read out from charlotte edwards kind of encapsulates um I mean, just just a few kind of numbers about her, because I think that some of the stats are very important, just to show what really what a legendary batter she was. Um, she's the leading Test run scorer um, of all time, um, and with uh, one thousand nine hundred and thirty-five Test runs, um, she averaged fifty-seven against Australia, um, which is quite staggering when you think about where women's cricket was. You know, she was an amateur for the whole of her playing career. Um, she represented England between 1979 and 1998. Um, so she was just such a brilliant player. That was an era in which Australia were very dominant as well, wasn't it, Raf? Um, yeah, although England won the World Cup memorably in 1993 at home um, and Jan Britton was a, a vital part of that side. 
Um, but yeah, obviously the England-Australia rivalry was very much alive. And so to average 57 at that time against Australia was no mean feat. Um, she was also a, a brilliant fielder. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, um, but all of the stories you hear about her taking these incredible diving catches in the field, um, again at a time when really that wasn't something that um, we saw very much in women's cricket. Um, and there's, um, you know, people said that one of the reasons why um, the England women's team changed from playing in skirts to playing in trousers was because Jan Britton was doing all these very athletic dives and they just thought that it wasn't very good for her to keep ending up with gashes all over her legs from from diving in the field um, so she was kind of um, sort of instrumental in that change as well um, but it was it was a really lovely event and um, I remember um, so Barbara Daniels um, who played with her for England um, talked about Jan as being hero worshipped um, by everyone because she was just so brilliant um, but a very kind of lovely self-effacing person as well um, she said to have been quite modest and she'd probably be um, if, if she was still with us and it's really sad that she can't be with us um, to sort of um, accept the award and um, to accept the um, institution into the Hall of Fame but she'd actually probably be quite embarrassed by it all because um, to top off being so brilliant she was also very lovely and self-effacing um, and Ebony Rainford-Brent was there as well at this event and she talked about kind of growing up um, and all of the coaches saying to her oh, oh if only you could bat like Jan Britton why aren't you playing that shot more like Jan would um, and, and Ebony just knowing that she would never ever kind of meet that standard because um, this was just such a, a fantastic player. Um, so yeah, um, a, a really a really brilliant kind of servant of English cricket um, and it's great that, that, that she is being recognised by the ICC. Great. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. So thank you very much for listening. We'll be back here next week, same time, same place. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>